there are men crying in washrooms all over the world right now and but nobody's talking about it so there whiskey whiskey the singer's getting sore we raise the roof now when we're lower in the floor the band is blistered but we got a little more when i say one two you say three four one two three yeah, we have Josh Peters online. He is a whiskey enthusiast and writer. He writes for a website that I follow and read regularly, uh, The Whiskey Jug. And I wanted to have Josh on because he writes reviews, like, seems like twi- two reviews a day. I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I- I've stopped writing reviews. I've-, I've gotten really bored with writing reviews. I've gotten bored with reading reviews. And then uh, I've started reading uh, The Whiskey Jug, and I'm like, you know what? The format needs an update, and I think Josh is uh, just doing very well with that. So, Josh, welcome to The Whiskey Topic. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And it, it's one a day right now. I'd love to be able to do two a day. I just need more whiskey in my house to do that. <laughs> now, how are you keeping to that schedule? Because that is pretty amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I, so between the, the collection that I have in my house right now and the amount of whiskey tastings and events I go to, I'm in four different whiskey clubs here in Los Angeles. And then whiskey that people send me keeps it that I can I can write a review a day. So I'm able That's to amazing. keep that cadence. Well, I think that what I like about your reviews is they're super, like they're concise and to the point. You're not, you know, you, you talk about history when it's needed, when it's not needed, you don't. I think I really like the way, uh, the way you're writing. It makes it more interesting for the reader. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, you know, when I, when I started the whiskey jug, um, that, that is one of the things that I really stuck out to try to do is I read a lot. I've been reading with other people's whiskey reviews for a long, long time. And uh, some of them I just didn't fully agree with like how they wrote them. So I was trying to break it down to a much easier way to read them and separate out you know, the history of the whiskey, if it, if it needs to be there, if there is any history versus where the tasting notes are. And then just a nice little overall idea of all right, you can read all this crap, but if you just look at the image and read the overall, you could like get the whole thing so you could get the idea in literally like five seconds. Yeah, no, that's excellent. So that's kind of how I was put, trying to put it together so that if, if you were going to be looking to buy a bottle, you could look at the image, look at the overall, you're out. You know, you've got all the information you need. Yeah, it, that's great because especially I think nowadays with like we're all just looking for sort of like a snapshot of something mm-hmm. where we're, it's you know so I think that's a great yeah I've been looking at uh, at a bunch of them today and lamenting the lack of options that we have here in Ontario versus what you get there in the states what's the whiskey um, community like in LA like what's going on there sounds like there's lots going on there is it's a pretty expansive community we've got a lot of um, there's a lot of there, there's two main public clubs that are out there um and and they are the socal whiskey club and the la scotch society and uh or no la scotch club sorry la scotch club and they're the two big public ones and then there's a ton of private groups that are all basically kind of branch off of those two main ones where people are like hey let's get together and do this and meet some of them are more structured and meet regularly like uh, the Malt Nuts or the LA Whiskey Society laws. So those ones are more, more structured, meet, meet fairly regularly. Then you've got some that are a little more loose, like some of my, uh, a group of us have gotten together and we, we uh, 
kind of the same group all the every time to taste certain things. Like we'll come up with them like, oh, let's taste, you know, you have a bunch of Weller 12s and you have a bunch of Weller 12s and you let's put together, you know, the, the, the last 10 years of Weller 12s and just taste them all side by side. And so that we'll, we'll do stuff like that. That's a great group of yeah. friends to have. <laughs> it is a great group of friends to have. <laughs> I want to be friends it's... with you, Josh. Let's hang out. <laughs> hey, come down to Los Angeles. Yes, I'll be there soon because my friend's moving you have there. A, you so have an open, yeah, you have an open invitation. Yes, amazing. <laughs> this is great. Great, well, you guys. I, I was awesome. uh, I was reading your review on the uh, Duncan Taylor uh, Glenesque twenty year old, and I have a. a, a uh, Duncan Taylor bottling from uh, Cragamore, very similar to what you have. It's a, it's a 23 year old, and um, you gave this a terrible. You're, the one you had was like 60 to 62, and I'm like, I, I remember. I'm like, you know, I have this old Duncan Taylor that I bought many years ago, and I, it's it's still like it's still in the cabinet. I haven't been t you know drinking it that often. I'm like, oh, let me go back to it. Let me figure out what what why I haven't been reaching back to it. And I think. I think it's, it seems like a very similar, like, there's no balance, and it's a little harsh, and it doesn't really taste very good. And, well, actually, it tastes okay, but there's not a lot of balance this whiskey. Yeah. That, it, it's so funny. Like, so that, that actually came from a L.A. Uh, Scotch Club meeting where we did a bunch of these dead distilleries. We had all these bottles that, we'd, that, the, that the club had put together, and uh, the, the organizer, Andy, he, he put them all together. And so we all got together and tried all of these dead distilleries and some of them were incredible and others were, wow, <laughs> they were just so bad. Everybody just kind of like looked around the room after, or at, around the backyard afterwards and like, yeah, yeah, that one's not quite so dearly departed on that one. <laughs> well, what are you drinking today, Josh? Um, I am drinking the Wildcatter eight-year Kentucky straight bourbon so it's something something new that uh, was sent my way so I'm trying it out it's actually not too bad it's a uh, I'm I'm guessing it's probably Buffalo Trace because the same company does a lot of Buffalo Trace stuff the just rebottling re so that's what I think it is but that's just speculation so yeah. All right. Not too bad. Not too bad. And Jamie, what about yourself? Uh, I'm also drinking a Buffalo Trace product. I'm drinking Stag Junior because it's Friday. Stag Junior Friday. This is the first. This is the first of what will probably be a few drinks this evening. So may as well start out strong. Um, yeah, I like I like this pour a lot. Um, I love high proof bourbons. So sort of the it's warm and I mean it's insofar as like the cast strength bourbons is not my most most favorite I reserve that for my like sweetheart E.H. Taylor barrel proof but this um is absolutely making me happy right now it's at 132.1 proof um so I'm not complaining everything's great <laughs> Yeah, you got to go high proof on a Friday because there, there's no responsibilities. You're done. You're done for the week. I'm done. It's <laughs> great. What are you drinking, Mark? So I, I'm drinking that Taylor, that uh, Duncan Taylor Gragamore bottling that's um, that I've had in my cabinet for a long time. 23 years old. Um, yeah, it's 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 uh, just under 60 percent alcohol, so definitely a high proof single barrel single malt Scotch. 
which I, I keep saying I want more single or I want more high proof uh, single malt scotch. But um, single barrels are tough in Scotland, man. They 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 kind of need they need that blending process. So. Um, Duncan Taylor basically buys a bunch of barrels, and sometimes they blend them to make blends. Um, other times they barrel uh, they barrel individual barrels. So um, this one has been barreled individually. It's in, um, at, at cast strength, um, but yeah, you know, you kind of you, th- that blending process is important in Scotland. They, they generally, unless it's an exceptionally excellent barrel, they, they do a lot with that blending process to you know barrel younger and older bar- uh, bottle barrels of whiskey and. And uh, they work between American wood and European wood to kind of give you a sweeter, uh, sweeter palate. And this one's all American wood. It's um, all, you know, for 20, 23 years. It's, it's a little harsh. It's, it's okay. I would call this a fan whiskey. If you, like, love the Gra- Cragamore distillery, you want to get, like, juice that they produced in 1987. This is when this was distilled. Um, it's an excellent test and it's excellent like um thing to go back in time and 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 have a single barrel but if you're not a fan you're probably going to be like eh, not my favorite whiskey yeah, i like the the signet signatory usually does really good with their uh single barrel selections signatory and caden heads i've actually never had too much good luck with duncan taylor yeah i, I did like their uh black bull the blend that they did uh but i haven't had it for years oh for years so this is going yeah, back like I four had... years Oh, I love that. Have you had the, the Black Bull 30? No, That's no. That's the one that, oh my goodness. <laughs> that thing is incredible. And is it actually a blend? So it's not a, it's like not a, uh, it's not a 100% malted barley. It's, it's a blend? Yeah, it's a blend and it is, it is amazing. But since it has an age statement, even the, even the grain, even the grain whiskey has to, has to be 30 years. So it's aged everything. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, I love that Black Bull 30. No, that sounds, I mean, you do have, um, how is the Los Angeles buying experience? Cause, um, Jamie and I keep traveling to the U S and every time we travel, we have a lot of trouble finding, uh, bourbon, uh, beyond the, the At least ones that I can afford. <laughs> yeah. J- Jamie found the, uh, uh, barrel proof Taylor for a thousand dollars somewhere <laughs> or the cured oak. The cured oak. Crap. The cured oak was a thousand dollars in Manhattan. Oh well, there's your problem. You're in Manhattan. Everything's expensive there. Um, no, in Los Angeles, it's pretty. Yeah, in Los Angeles, it's not too hard. It's pretty easy uh, to to find stuff when it first comes out. But the problem is, is there's so many whiskey nerds here in LA that it disappears really quickly. So it. But yeah, it usually comes in at a decent price. Like even even the Walgreens here will end up getting a bottle or two from the the of the the BTAC or Pappy releases this fall. So it's <laughs> what? Awesome. But then they disappear instantly. So right. <laughs> so if you're in the know and you know a couple of people, you don't you're you're going to be okay. Yeah, basically, like it. Find a couple liquor stores that uh, get you know, that they're obviously in good with their reps because they have a good selection and can really get to know their spirits buyers. That that would be my biggest key for like, my biggest tip for, for whiskey drinking in Los Angeles is get to know your spirits buyers. <laughs> that They'll give you the, in, the intel. Well, I mean, especially if Walgreens is selling it, that's great because I was going to say, normally you um, need to really invest heavily in, the, in your local liquor store to get the, your, your BTAC. Like it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, it's 
pretty ridiculous. So what are your, uh, what are some of your favorite bourbons like uh, that you have you've had in the last year? What's what are some of the uh, ones you've either tasted or purchased and you're very happy with? So um, I bought it at the beginning of kind of it was kind of more like early 2014. I'm just barely starting to drink it. Is K and L. So that that's a little not really that little. They have three stores, but K and L is a, a liquor store here in in Los Angeles, and I had their their single barrel that they pulled of Buffalo Trace, and that was that's an incredible incredible barrel that they pulled. Um, outside of that, for bourbon, I haven't really. I mean, I've had uh, the the last Stag Junior was pretty good. The oh the um, the hazmat bottling of Elijah Craig, that hundred and forty point two proof. It's it's not good on its own, but it's a fantastic over ice bourbon. That I really, really enjoyed. Um, outside of that, um, oh Cedar Ridge, Cedar Ridge. They're a little uh, craft distillery over in Iowa. I've uh, had a couple of different versions of theirs. Their cast strength has been absolutely fantastic. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, uh, some of the upcoming stuff from Wild Turkey is incredibly expensive, but it's really, really good. Yeah, that's why you've, but, you've um, had the special bottling of uh, Wild Turkey as well. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I tried all those when I was in Kentucky uh, about a month ago now and they were they were both fantastic gonna be really expensive but hey if you've got an extra 150 250 dollars laying around it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good whiskey i'm a big i'm a big huge wild turkey fan i'm i i, I read through your your experience and i was like oh the jealousy that i feel right now is like above <laughs> and beyond and I even just went there, you know, on a regular old trip to Kentucky and like, you know, Jimmy Russell was just sitting in the front area. I'm sure I've told this story 3000 times, but he was just sitting there like super unassuming. We chatted for like 15 minutes. He's like the loveliest. And I just looked through all your pictures and oh, it looked awesome. You had such a good time there. I did. It was and. When, when we showed up, Jimmy was doing the same thing. He was just sitting there in the visitor center, and we walk in, and he's just sitting there. I think he just does that. Like it, He just decides he's done doing whatever he's doing that day. He's like, I'm just going to go hang out in the visitor center, and he like sits there and talks to people. He's, he's such an insanely nice guy. So nice, so lovely, and yeah, mm -hmm. I, it, was, it was actually really – I walked in, and I was just like <gasps> – to my my husband, I was like, I cannot even believe right now our luck showing up here. We weren't even gonna go because we were gonna go check into our hotel first, but then we're like, oh, it's just on the way, so let's just go. And I'm so glad that we did, so glad because he wanted to talk about you know the weather and you know country cured ham and like he was so <laughs> unassuming and cool that it was just awesome. I loved it. He is. He's, he's just an absolutely genuine, nice guy. It was so much fun. So cool. Yeah, everyone was, when, when we met him, everyone that we were on the trip with was a little taken aback for a minute. They're like, oh, it's the Buddha of bourbon. And like, just kind of like looking at him for a minute. It's a little bit of, it's kind of weird that you'd get a little starstruck at a guy that makes whiskey, but 
it was it was like that moment of oh yeah totally it was great yeah, it, was it was weird so excellent <laughs> i loved it and i love how sort of unapologetic they are about their distillery they're sort of they are who they are like they're they're like come look at all of our amazing incredible equipment and and they they sort of don't hide some distilleries from what I've noticed is you sort of get the like the story time version of it and it's like these beautiful distilleries but you're sort of wondering how does this distillery keep up with the production like you sort of have all these questions and it's really easy to be sort of swayed into like the lovely fairy tale of these tiny little distilleries um Mm -hmm. and then but wild turkey's like nope this is us get on the the turkey trolley and we're gonna take a ride around our massive huge uh, distillery and it's beautiful and it's awesome and but I, I love that about it it's just it doesn't sort of um, hide itself yeah it's it's a it's a fantastic location and yeah they are very like this is exactly how we do it mm-hmm. and uh, if you don't like it that's fine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah big fan big fan yes. what, what were too. some of your uh, favorites at uh, at Wild Turkey what did you taste that you really enjoyed um I've had the, they, um, so the newer bottling, uh, that's going to be coming out of the Forgiven, I like a lot better than the original Forgiven that came out. So trying that was, that was really nice to see. Uh, the, the Russell's Reserve single barrels are always some of my favorite picks. Yeah. They're, soon as I'm out of one, I just go back down to K&L and grab another. Like, it's it's one of the ones that I just absolutely love. And then, yeah, just, man, those special editions. They were, especially, uh, of course, like, the one that I picked is the one that's $250. I'm like, this is my favorite one. How much is it? $250. Like, all right, so it's no longer my favorite. <laughs> it's, it's one I really enjoy. <laughs> it's, it's funny being like writing whiskey rev- whiskey reviews. You kind of get this point of like, yes, I would recommend this bottle for a three hundred dollar whiskey if you're making you know three hundred thousand dollars a year. Sure, that's you know yeah. that's an equivalent purchase of you know a thirty dollar bottle. But otherwise, no, don't buy this bottle. It's delicious, but no, just don't do it. Yeah, it's it's it is funny, and <laughs> I would if I was. If I made that kind of money, I would totally buy a bottle. I have no qualms about it. I, if $300 meant nothing to me, I would walk out to the second it came out <laughs> and pick one up. Yeah, I, I love the so, Russell's Reserve single barrel. Did you did you ask, ask them why they call it a single barrel small batch on the label? Because I always found that very confusing. How could it be a single barrel and a small batch? That one, um, I did not ask them that question, but that is that's actually a really good question. I should email them back and ask. <laughs> um, I think it's because they, I don't know, it, it might just be that they take them from certain batches when they do their single bell runs. I have no idea. Because they make pretty big batches of bourbon in, in that facility, there, in the new facility. So well, We I'm, wondered um, about this for a very long time. We're like, single barrel, small batch. What? Why? It's happening. <laughs> That do? is a very good question. <laughs> it, it might actually that one might actually be the answer is marketing, hmm. since there's no legal definition on the term small batch. It you know it could mean anything for for every distillery. You got some of the little guys where small batch means thirty barrels, 
you got some of them where for them a small batch is you know 350 barrels because normally they do a you know 700 barrel run or something you know they've got uh since there's no legal definition they can really just call it whatever they want yeah i think that's the same conclusion we came to when we had this conversation last time i was like ah it's just marketing big circle we were like well maybe it means this and maybe it it probably doesn't really mean anything i don't know so yeah well i'm glad to hear uh I'm glad to hear Wild Turkey Forgiven um, is uh, growing up a little bit because I think we were we were commenting on the podcast before. It was a little too it had two different personalities. It wasn't quite meshed. So I'm glad to hear that the next bottling is going to be a little more uh, formed and structured. Yeah, and 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 it, and it is because that it it you know this next one is actually a thought out release compared to the first one being an accident, which I was really skeptical about, but then. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to not believe Eddie when you hear it, when he's staring you straight in the eye and tells you it was absolutely an accident and the, the person that, that accidentally did it almost got fired and it was just because they're, they're unionized that they, that, uh, that person didn't. And there was this whole, either there's like a union hearing and all these things cause it was, but because they were, you know, they came up and just told him directly, like, "Hey, this happened. I'm so sorry. I didn't catch it. I was, I, you know, I hooked the wrong, the wrong uh, hose up, uh, and these got mixed. And so, like, the original one is a, was an actual accident. So I, I didn't believe it at first, but it's kind of hard to not believe him when you got Jimmy and Eddie both looking you right in the eye, saying, "Yes." It was an accident. It's like, oh, okay. That's <laughs> really right. good because I was also very skeptical. You hear the like tales of like, oh, this is this, you know, whoops, it happened, and it's a special bottling, and you're like, eh, okay, or you were playing around with something, or you know, who knows? But all right, all yeah, right. it was. It, it's a little harder to feel so skeptical when you've got both Jimmy, Jimmy and Eddie looking you in the eye, yeah. saying this. It was the next release will not be an accident. The next <laughs> release is actually a very thought out, it, it's much more balanced, it's a lot smoother. Um, a lot of the, the kind of hot, harsh aspects that I really didn't like in the first one have been smoothed out. So yeah. it's, uh, it, it is, a, it's, I like it a lot more. That, that surprised me how much I liked it there at the distillery. I mean, it's a similar story to the uh, Ardbeg Serendipity where they had the Ardbeg and the Glenmore uh, in the same bottling line and they mix them together and they're like, oh, we're just going to call this serendipity and pretend yeah. it was good whiskey. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yes, yeah, it that happens. One's even, yeah, that one's even harder to believe since it's a, and it was a 27-year art bag involved in that. And it's like, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> who was watching that? Like, how? How do you let that happen to a 27-year-old Ardbeg? <laughs> I, I, I believe we, we got a quote of uh, that. That was a like a 400,000-pound mistake of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh I mean that's what, like six $700,000 US, maybe $500,000 US, whatever the yeah. exchange rate happens to be right now. That, that's a big mistake. It's a huge mistake. It also happened, they also, it also happened with um, the Glen Morangi 80-20, where it was... 80% Glenmorangie and 20% of something, I can't remember what it was, something else got mixed in as well. And it was in that same in that same bottling hall where uh, the accident happened. What do you think happens <laughs> to, like, the worker who does it? Like, what do, like, I've, I, in my head I picture this, like, burly man just, like, go completely pale 
and like start weeping. Like I <laughs> can only imagine what it was like to be in the room with somebody who just realized that they made the biggest, most expensive, maybe like mistake of their entire lives and it might cost them their job. And like, I could only, can you imagine like the, like the, it's getting mixed right there in front of them and they're like, no, like I think it would be a crazy, insane moment in a whiskey maker's life. It'd be kind of oh, awesome. It's, it's got to be terrifying. So like, it was a, a 23 to 24 year uh, Arbeg, not a 27. But like, if, if that was me, I would probably just push the button that makes it stop, Yeah. walk out, go home, <laughs> yeah. grab my stuff, yeah. hop on a plane, yes. and move somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what happened to Josh? I don't know. He was mixing. He was dumping this 23-year-old hard bag, and now he's just not here. Like, he just disappeared. And then someone's like, oh, shit. Look at that. Look in here. Oh, no wonder he disappeared. Honestly, I feel like there's no other choice. Like, I want to meet these guys that made these big mistakes and see what happened. Like, oh, my gosh. I cry in the bathroom first, probably, because that's, like, a thing that I do. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. We crying in the bathroom has never really been accepted by uh, by guys. No, we we cry yeah. in the streets or on park benches. On no, 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 we streets I and park bullshit. benches. I call bullshit. Honestly, it can't just be women. It's definitely not. You just don't talk about it. Like it's just one of those things that I a hundred percent disagree. There are men crying in washrooms all over the world right now. And, but nobody's talking about it, so there. Well, <laughs> first they go in and stub their toe. <laughs> right. right. Like, oh, it's, no, I just, I just hurt my toe. It's just, it just it's really painful at the moment. It, hey, there's bro. an ingrown toenail situation before. Like, it's, just, it's all just pain-related. Well, this is not emotion. Well, the thing is, male bathrooms aren't really a community. They're, they're more of a... No. We, we stand there. We ignore... Like, even if your like, best bud comes in, you don't talk to him. You, you, you don't oh, talk no, to it him. Stops. You, it stops. Like, um, or yeah. you might do a, like a, hey, hey. And that's it. That's all that happens in the bathroom. You wash your mm-hmm. hands and you walk out. You don't wait for your buddy to come out. You don't wait for him. You just, you just go there. You do your thing. We're, we're very uncomfortable about this. Men are just unusually, stupidly uncomfortable in the bathroom in general. So, well, I think it's because men's bathrooms don't have like couches and things in them. Yeah. So it feels less communal when there's no couches in the bathroom. I went to a washroom once in New York City that had a champagne bar in it. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Yeah, at Beauty in Essex in in Manhattan, they um the ladies' washroom has a full champagne bar in it, which was hilarious because there was some dudes like sitting at the table next to us, and they had come in sort of I guess they were up for a smoke, and they came in and got seated, and they're like, "Where are our wives?" And so like one of them gets up and goes over to the bar, and he's like, "She just texted me. She's at the bar." And I just said, she's not there. And so like the server comes over and they're like, uh, excuse me, uh, do you have another bar like upstairs? Like my wife says she's at like the bar and I, we can't find her anywhere. And she's like, oh, she means the bar in the ladies' washroom. And the dudes are like, what? We want a bar in our bathroom. And then they're like, and then there was this whole discussion about like, you know, bars and bathrooms and stuff like that. It was great. It was awesome. But if you're like a single, like if you, it was just like I was with, Trent so like I went to the washroom alone and I was like it'd be kind of sad if I just sat on this couch by myself and drank champagne right like it's more of a girlfriend <laughs> thing so it is it was still kind of cool though sounds like there's a lot of politics going on in men's washrooms no like yeah. a lot of rules 
Oh, yes, absolutely. There's a lot of rules. There's the uh, rule where, like, if you walk in and there's, like, four urinals and the guy's using urinal number two, you go to urinal number four. And then if the third guy walks in, you go into the urinal you think the guy's going to be leaving. So, if, like, well, I guess it doesn't matter in a four urinal, urinal situation. But there, there's a lot of rules on to where Yikes. men mm-hmm. can and can't. Like, if there's five urinals and the guy goes right beside you, that's a problem. That, that's, a, that's a legitimate problem. Yeah. It's like, dude, go down one. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some space here. Come on. Uh, it sounds yep. complicated, you guys. You should just put champagne in each washroom, and I'm sure it'll be less awkward of an experience for y'all. Well, the worst. I don't know. I, <laughs> having having spent many, ha- having spent more than, you know, or at least I hope not more. Probably an average amount of time in <laughs> men's restrooms <laughs> throughout my life. I don't want anything I eat or drink anywhere near one of those things. That's fair. It's. It's not a pleasant experience. That's fair. That's no, fair. The, the worst that we have is the guy that like hands you the hand towels and, and gives oh, you I like candy or something. I'm like, dude, why, yeah. why are you here? Why do I have to tip you now for handing me towels to dry my hands? Yeah. Uh, and then they've got like a selection of mints and colognes and all this wow. stuff. And it's like, why didn't, wh- who, who, what, what? I want to know the thought process behind the person that goes, they're getting ready to go out for the night. And they're like, you know what? I don't need gum or cologne i'll just get it in the bathroom at the bar (laughs) i want to meet that person that whose thought process is i am not taking care of these basic things until i get to the bathroom at the bar (laughs) i don't understand that one at all i've I've never once understood that it's like two steps away from having like travel deodorant there that's right there, there's often deodorant in ladies' washrooms, but it's like the spray deodorant. So, like, yeah. But again, it begs the question: Who is leaving so unprepared that this, yeah. this is like a thing? I guess I don't go to like enough clubs because that's mostly like a club thing that I yeah. notice. Like, yeah. it's like, and like there's washroom attendants, and you're like, oh, and you're panicking because you're like, oh, I don't carry cash on me anymore because like cash is not anything that I have on me like what am I gonna I can't give you change because that's horrible so like what do I do um mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's, it's terrible really intense experience going to the washroom it in is. public well I, I do th- you know and I do think there, there are parts of the world where men's washrooms are more evolved the east coast is an ex- excellent example you, you go to the bathroom there and, and people do chat with you and they're like hey how's it going it's still an opportunity to you know like not not all men are very uncomfortable about these things but most men in most places are. Did you just uh, not all men us on the podcast? Yeah, I did. I did. So I started to hashtag that first. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag not all men are uncomfortable on oh, bathrooms boy. in bathrooms. That's awesome. I'm not, it, it's not so much uncomfortable as I just want to get the experience over with. Yeah, you exactly. You sit and chat. You're like, why? Let's just talk when we're not, you know doing this i mean it's fair that's a i just fair... want to get it over with i just yeah. want to get in get out i think this is fair well we should probably we'll talk about whiskey some more we can each other in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's so good um yeah we should probably go back to whiskey whiskey guys whiskey 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 <laughs> But that was such an intriguing conversation for me. It was. <laughs> I'm gonna get I actually it. do. I do have a, a whiskey question because uh, I do have a whiskey question. Look, the Stag Junior is like totally making its way into my bloodstream right now. Um, there's this article that came out, I guess, yesterday by Heather Green that's called Why L.A. is Maybe the Worst Place to Make Whiskey. I don't know if you read it or not, Josh. I have not, but I, I know Heather quite well. So... She wrote basically about the sort of 
archaic um, laws governing craft distilling in Los Angeles. Yeah, so like in, essentially it's governed by a different body than wine and beer and it's like governed by food service industry which means that they can't actually like make mash and ferment it in open air sort of vats and they can't do any like they can't handle the grains like they would normally so I don't know maybe you don't know anything about this but and I'm putting you on the spot like an a-hole but I just wanted to know if, <laughs> if Jamie does this, this <laughs> Jamie does this to me all the time so I know I'm an a-hole I'm like, I'm like hey I'm just gonna see what happens here um but yeah I don't know if you've had any experience going to any of the sort of craft distilleries in your neck of the woods and if you've sort of had experience with that so i have actually heard quite a few people talking about that over the last couple years about people about how they it's really really difficult because of a lot of the restrictions and that's why there really isn't a whole lot of craft distilleries here in los angeles proper you got you know all the big california ones are either down south towards more towards san diego or further north up towards, you know, San Francisco and Humboldt County and, and up in those areas. And it's, it is because it's, it's incredibly, the laws are really weird. They're difficult to navigate. Um, you've got, there, there is one place downtown, um, Green Bar. I'm, it's the only thing I can think of. I'm totally blanking the rest of their name, but um, they're kind of the, the, really the only major craft distillery here in LA that I can think of right now but um and they have a really small production I know it's taken them forever to try and get a whiskey out that it's been a lot of vodka and that they've had to do some pretty small um batches because it's just difficult it's a really difficult thing I've talked to quite a few people that want to start uh, distilleries here and they end up moving out to like Pasadena I know one of the guys that just opened up a distillery out in Pasadena because it's so much easier to open one in Pasadena than it is here in Los Angeles. And Colorado is really big right now with new distilleries, right? I mean, they, they've got a bunch that are that are opening up as well. It seems like uh, the craft movement is really, it's just starting out in a lot of ways. No, it's going to be exciting to see, you know, we're getting to try a lot of this craft stuff while it's really young, while everything's starting up. It's, I think the really telling thing for craft is going to be in about the next six to 10 years to see who is still around and who actually is putting out some stuff that has aged more than like 18 months to see what actually happens to it and how they, how they evolve. You know, you got guys like Corsair who, everything they do is about 18 months, but they're very careful about their barrels when, you know, entry proof and exit. And they, they monitor this stuff like crazy because, you know, the, the distiller used to be, uh, uh, I think it was a biochemist or some, something along those lines. He had a lot of um, chemical distillation experience before he got into it. And so he's very, you know, analytical about the way they do things, which is why their stuff ends up tasting, you know, so well for being so young. And, um, but I know that they're starting to experience with a little bit bigger barrels and they're starting to test things with their new distilleries. And now that they're getting to expand and get a bigger space, they, you know, they're, they're adjusting some of the things they're doing. So it's going to be really cool to see in that next six to eight years what, you know, who's still around, what they're put out and what some of the, 
stuff that's had a chance to get some real maturity to it if uh, you know how it tastes and see you know see what is that next level of American whiskey sorry which uh, distillery was that Corsair Corsair down in it's they're in uh, kind of the downtown area of uh, Nashville Tennessee Nice, nice. Yeah, they do like they do a quinoa whiskey and an oat whiskey, and they have they do all this crazy cool stuff, and um, they 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 put out some really really good, really interesting whiskeys. Uh, when I was down there, I tried this nine grain bourbon that they had created, uh, that they called the the Grainiac. That was just insanely good. Huh. Wow! It was so good, and. Um, they yeah they they're just constantly trying new things and i and you know it's paid off for them they're now opening up a much bigger distillery with you know full size stills instead of these teeny little like old it was like an old cognac still or something like that that they've been using um they're, now they're getting these big you know more kind of pot still i believe is what they're they're getting is big pot stills and it's it's really cool to see what they're going to be putting out once they get into these new areas and see how it all shakes out over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm a. I've, I've I haven't had a lot of the uh, smaller production uh, whiskey. I did enjoy uh, Colorado Stranahan's, uh, which was I think their first uh, distillery uh, in Colorado in recent history, and they they put out a you know 100% malted barley whiskey, and and I think it's. I mean, I only had one bottle. I know they they go from different bottling. There's there's they're not uh, they're not going for consistency but very young delicious whiskeys the one that i had was was fantastic i really enjoyed it um and it's interesting to see how there are distillers that can make very good young whiskey and then there's others that don't necessarily do as good of a job and it's it's that's that there is a lot of craft and talent in that small production small like uh smaller age statements uh younger whiskeys higher proof whiskeys i mean that that takes a lot of guts and and there are definitely good examples of uh, distillers doing that. Yeah, I like I like the bottle of Stranahan's that um, that I have, but I have had some bottles that you know, like you said, they're not going for consistency. They just put out what they whatever they make. Um, I have had some that I have really not enjoyed, but see, so yeah, it, it's it's kind of funny. It's a it it's almost like a crapshoot, but it's still one that you have a little bit better chance on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So, gentlemen, I have a question for both of you, actually. Um, so, Mark, you, you're, you know, re- writing reviews, and 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 Joshua, you're writing a lot of reviews. Can you guys just like sit and enjoy your whiskey anymore? Like, is this like a thing where you can just sort of turn it off? Like, I always think about this when I'm talking to um, like a writer, or a, like, well, which you both are, so I guess it kind of makes sense. But um, anyone who's sort of got this mind that sort of automatically is geared towards this like pulling apart of whatever it is you choose to do um can you just sit and enjoy i find i can but i'm also very uh ocd about the whiskey i drink and and, i've talked about this in the podcast before but for me for me to enjoy a whiskey i will have, you know, small half ounce samples and I will just drink a lot of whiskey throughout the night. If I'm at if I'm at home or at somebody's place. If I'm at a restaurant it's a different story. But uh but at home I, I typically if I'm with friends and talking, I usually just pour myself little bits of everything because I can enjoy that whiskey very briefly, but then I'm like, all right, what's next? what do I uh, what do I, what am I having next? Um and I find that's my biggest trouble. Um 
but I, I think um, I, I can't remember. I was on a whiskey tasting. I was with Matt Jones, uh, brand ambassador for uh, Jim Beam here in Canada, and he made a great point. I think this is this is true for me. And uh, is he said that you know when you taste a whiskey for the first time, you want to familiarize with yourself with it, get an idea of the flavor. But then he's like, by the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time you're drinking that whiskey, you're probably not thinking about it as much. Maybe even by the fourth sip. Um, and so when I'm at a at a restaurant and I'm enjoying whiskey and it's just just drinking it socially, not not uh, not tasting uh, not for uh, tasting notes or anything, I usually uh, I'm I'm in that boat. I'll have a couple of sips. Yep, yeah, this is Bullet Bourbon, or yeah, yeah, this is Buffalo Trace. And then my my brain does turn off at that point. But I'm usually in a conversation or, you know, listening to somebody or watching something. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess the answer is I, it's a little harder for me to turn off my brain, but I do find ways to do it. For me, it's more of if, if it's something that, if it's something that I've already like reviewed, if it's something new, I have a hard time because I want to investigate it. And I'm like pulling out my phone and taking, you know, notes in Evernote on my phone and just kind of <laughs> like doing it. So it's really hard if it's something I've never had. If it's something I've had, I have no problem just sitting and enjoying it. Like I'm, I'm on the opposite side. I don't, I usually like when I get home, I'll like pick out of the, from my selection, I'm like, all right, you're the one for tonight. And then that's the one I'll, <laughs> I'll stick with for, for the evening. Or, you know, when I go get together with friends to go play uh, like board games or something for, for a game day, we'll, I'll usually bring over like three or four whiskeys and lay them out. And then like everyone else is like kind of trying and bouncing between them all. And I've got like the one that I brought that that is the one that I'm going to be drinking that day. And, and I pretty much just stick with that one. But I, I do get really, it's also from the review standpoint, I do get really picky when I'm at bars because I'll look at, you know, I'll look at the prices and then I'll think about it like, well, I've got two bottles of that at home already. And I only gave it, you know, like a B like a mid that that's not worth the price and then like so i start like really like in my head i'm doing this value negotiation of is this actually worth drinking here at the bar <laughs> type of thing <laughs> do you actually go to your own website and see what you gave the drink ratings i, I have a i have a spreadsheet on my like a spreadsheet on my phone and i'm i'm literally like wait did i like this i i, I kind of know how much i liked it or disliked it but i want to know exactly the same idea where i am on the scale of liking this for the price point that's super nerdy, it, by the way, Mark. I know. It's terrible. <laughs> I do actually, every once in a while, like if it's something I haven't had in a while, like I think I remember I like that. And then I'll, I will, I'll just pull up the, my site on my phone and just type it in real quick. Like, oh yeah, no. Oh, now I remember. Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> I actually went to your site to specifically like just two minutes ago to see if, um, you had reviewed Stag Jr. and I didn't see it come up. It's not on there yet. It's oh. in the queue. It's I've in got, the queue. It's in the queue. Yeah. Did you so like got, it? Yes or no? I did. I <laughs> loved it. Oh yeah, give us a preview <laughs> of your review. <laughs> Can you imagine if you like we did this whole thing and I was like, Stag Jr. is great, it's amazing, blah blah blah. And then I see on your site it comes through and it's like it is horrible bourbon for super amateurs. <laughs> Don't know what they're talking about great no I, I really like the bottle of stag junior i have at home it's a uh, i've got about 40 reviews that are just queued up ready awesome. to go up on the site so that's awesome it's in that queue cool that's amazing I'll look um for it. so let me ask you then uh, a tougher question stag junior versus uh bookers stag yeah really eh 
Yeah. Interesting. By, <sighs> by, by a margin though. It's not, I would, I really, so I really like them both, but I like them for a little bit different reasons. Um, uh, Booker's has that really good, it, it's a lot woodier than the, the bottle of stag that I have. It, um, but stag also has a lot of those nice kind of dark fruity flavors, like, you know, dried cherries and things that the Booker's doesn't have. It's much more of a kind of like a roasted uh, nut kind of a thing going on with Booker's. So I like them for different reasons, mm-hmm. but I still like them both really well. And I think I, though I like, I don't know, I'd have to sit down and actually taste them right next to each other. So we did that one morning at like 1030 in the morning and we got trashed. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to start the day. We well, well, I guess we could we could resolve. Yeah, we definitely have to go for burgers afterwards. <laughs> and I well, did take a nap. <laughs> by the afternoon. <laughs> well, do you have your stag junior score? Because we can resolve it that way. What did you score? Do you have it on you? I don't. That one's at home. Ah, it's, too bad. So I've got I've got a bunch on my home computer since I'm I'm at technically at work right now yeah (laughs) there's a um no i've got on my on my home computer i've got everything that i'm uh queued up is all on that computer so i don't i don't move anything over to like my big my evernote and dropbox Mm -hmm. setup that i have for finished reviews till i actually get ready to publish them because i'll reread them on uh reread my my handwritten notes and go over them before I type them up. So they don't hit Evernote till I'm like ready to put them up. Well, I got to tell you, so I, when I read, um, uh, when I like look for whiskey reviewers, I do a couple of things and I generally go to a website and I look at like, how did they rate a few basic things? Buffalo Trace, Eagle Rare, um, Glenfiddich uh, 12, Glenlivet 12, um, kind of start there. That's usually kind of my starting point. So I'm like, okay, how's the scotch ratings? How's the whiskey ratings? And then I move from there. So one of the reasons why I started reading your site, so I'm like, okay, I'm agreeing with a lot of these scores. I'm like, this is, you know, like you're, you're just, they fit my palette. Like they, they fit my palette very, very closely. Um, and I think that's the important part. I think if you're reviewing whiskey, there's no right or wrong answers on scores and, and preferences. There, um, there might be right or wrong answers on the technical, like how the whiskey's constructed and the balance and, and, you know, it, does it taste like a bourbon? Does it succeed in its its main goal? Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, like I, I look for risky reviewers that I'm like, okay, I, I agree with these score points, and and there's usually a you know small marginal difference because I'm like, yeah, you know, like we're everybody has their own preferences uh, in there. Um, I honestly, for me, Booker's versus Stag, I'm like, I think I pick Booker's. I, I, I've been uh, struggling with that one for a little bit versus Stag Jr., obviously, not, uh, mm-hmm. not Stag Stag. Um, but they're both really, uh, really great whiskey, so I enjoy them both equally. I think I, I sometimes make these decisions based on what I reach for most in a whiskey cabinet. So, like, I've got them both. Which one do I drink more often? Yeah. Well, that, that's always the most telling. Like, we, it's funny, at, um, at a couple of whiskey clubs here, uh, one in particular, the the SoCal Whiskey Club, we'll, at the end of the night, you'll see everybody, like, you know, uh, Chris, the guy who runs it, um, known as Whiskey Redhead Online, fun, <laughs> really knowledgeable guy. Yeah. He um, will, we'll, after the club meeting, you know, he'll, he'll, we'll do a little roundup, like, okay, who liked, you know, like, oh, the I.W. Harper the best, or who liked, you know, the the you know whatever the the tasting is like so we did balcones the other night so it's like who liked the brimstone the best who liked the true blue the best and then 
you'll see the hands go up and down. And what's funny is sometimes you'll see where people are like, there's, an, there's more than half of the people really liked one whiskey. And then when you, but then when you look at the whiskeys that they're sitting there after the end of the night, another whiskey that almost nobody said was their favorite is the one that's almost empty because that's the one everyone kept going back to. And so we kind of look at that as more of, you know, who, which one was the real winner of the night is the one that's almost empty by the end of the evening. Yeah, that makes sense. I never thought about that. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Because everyone, everyone's raising their hand like, oh, I love this one. I love this one. And then you look over and that one's almost full. And then one that nobody voted is empty. And right. you're like, uh, we know the real winner. <laughs> so do you think that's the, uh, that's the, the difference one. between uh, reputation and like blind tastings? Like because they're not a blind tasting, they're like, oh, I should like this one more. Um, or like the story behind this one more. Um, it's, it might be that. It might also be like. It's one of those like crowd things, like everyone around you raise their hands. So you're like, ah, yeah, you know what? I did like that one quite a bit. But then when you go back to the to the and you're pouring it yourself, you're like, actually, I really like that one the most. And then you'll pour it. And so, I think there there it's a little bit of that, um, which is why at some of the clubs we only do blind tastings, because then it removes that that bias. Yeah, I'm a huge huge fan of blind tastings. I um I don't even like rating whiskey until I taste it blind because it's just it's one of those things where you never know you you never know what what your biases are. Um, you never know how that's going to influence your enjoyment of it. And you know we are we are social creatures and we are you know we do value um, brands and names and you know, things we we feel we've been told are valuable. So it is, and you know, whiskey is a luxury item. I mean, at the end of the day, unless you're unless you're buying your twelve dollar uh, moonshine, uh, if you're spending more than than you know 20, 20 bucks or more on whiskey, you're you're at this luxury item price where you're buying whiskey because you want to own something that is of luxurious taste and flavor. Um, and so from that standpoint, uh, the brand has a big influence on 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 whiskey drinkers. It, it absolutely does. So to, packaging all of it, and that's, you know, it's just kind of human psychology that it plays into that if it, if it looks fancy and sounds fancy, it might, it's, it's likely to taste fancy. But, you know, we will find different things like that out all the time when we, we do these tastings at different clubs is, you know, someone will have a bottle that is a legendary status bottle. And when everyone's drinking it, Nobody stands up and, you know, loses their mind because it's so amazing. <laughs> um, and there, there's one, if um, you go to the, the, the L.A. Whiskey Society, if you go to their site, there's, there's an article in there that they wrote about where they uh, dropped in into one of the tastings a Bowmore Black in there, you know, the legendary Bowmore. Mm-hmm. It was on a blind tasting and nobody picked it out. Nobody, you know stood up and their their mouth fell open and tears started streaming from their face <laughs> this is the best thing i've ever had it kind of it just got kind of like oh this is a good whiskey it didn't get the 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 shock and awe that typically happens then afterwards when when they revealed that it was in this everybody was like holy crap right <laughs> 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 another glass right now like you know then then of course the then the the oh my god let, let's try this again came through but it's uh it's a really good it's a really good interesting write-up about how uh, that really plays in that psychology of how branding and and you know what we think about something before we taste it comes into play it's a it's a really fascinating read so i, I would recommend checking out the, the their their site and the or i guess our site since i'm a member now anyways go check out that site and uh um 
read that article. So it's really, really a fascinating read. That's awesome. We'll post it for sure. Yeah, um, yeah it's really cool. And I think even it, it works like I, I did a private tasting for a company once and I, I did a blind tasting with them, even though they weren't super avid whiskey drinkers. Um, but I was trying to prove sort of this point and everybody sort of was shocked that their favorite, again, we'll talk about wild turkey because everybody loved it. It was like the favorite and everybody was shocked because it comes with this sort of like wild turkey image of, I always think about Christmas vacation. I don't know if you guys (laughs) think about the getting cured off the wild turkey joke. Um, So it's got this like rep and it's been around for a really long time and you know, this like down home maybe sort of bottom-ish shelf bourbon and then people sort of went nuts for it and I was like it's wild turkey and they're like what I would never have bought that from the liquor store because it's wild turkey like maybe my grandpa drank it or like you Mm -hmm. know it's you know whatever and it I think it's so important I I love that I love blind tastings I do too I I so I I drop um in in uh some of the tastings that I'll do is I'll I'll throw a Russell's either the the tenure uh, small batch or like the the single barrel throw it in there and because not there's very few people that know that Russell's is wild turkey mm. and so then they'll try and like oh my god this is amazing bourbon blah 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 I'm like oh so you like tenure wild turkey I'm like wait what <laughs> <laughs> yes and then they freak out because like no way this is not wild turkey this is the stuff my dad drank like yeah, it's good whiskey. That's why it's so. That's <laughs> why your dad drank it. He knew what he was doing. That's right. Yeah, I, I just smart man. Oh, I just finished my Russell's ten-year-old uh, small batch, and all I have left is a single barrel, which I, I I'm just like I'm gonna cry because it's not available here, right? It's one of those things where I have to go back to Kentucky, or I guess I could go to Buffalo, but either which way, it's hard to get. Yeah, you can get it in New York. Yeah. No, um, I think the it's it's an interesting conversation because sometimes you want to just taste whiskey from the historical aspect like yeah you know like something from Bowmore that's super rare you, you don't necessarily it, it wasn't a standout but you may want to taste it because like okay this has a lot of history a lot of fame behind it so you want to remember that more and sometimes um you know there's one study that i can't remember the airline but the airline started um created um for their food they created a special uh, like chamber to taste all the food that they serve at the airline. And one of the things that they were, were worried about is pressure because uh, in airplanes, you don't taste salt as well, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing is noise. Apparently noise distracts the human brain intensely. And um, so they would taste their food in like that kind of plane noise. And, you know, like we, we are, we're so easily distracted. There's these studies like if you have like, if you pretend you boil water and you people hear the boiling water and they give you, and you pour a glass and they think it's a warm glass of water like we're highly susceptible to all these different you know cues um and that that's definitely there for whiskey and i think for me uh yeah blind tasting is just the best way to get around it you have no idea what you're drinking enjoy it and uh, or you don't and then figure out what you like yeah they're absolutely they're a lot of fun they're uh i know a lot of people that do get apprehensive around them me because they you, they, they <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but sometimes i do yes i love them even like even in, in in some of the clubs, will like it becomes a fun game because th- we'll know the theme for the night. Like it's oh, it's all gonna be like Brooklady. We're gonna taste fourteen different expressions of Brooklady tonight, and so they're all blinded bottles. And then it becomes kind of a game of who can guess what it is or, or you know how old it is. And we're very rarely right. 
but it just becomes fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it adds, that adds, because you're like, oh, this kind of tastes like the old Laddie 10, but not really. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say it's Laddie 10, and then they open, like, it's the Laddie 16. Like, Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's important to have awesome people in your whiskey club. You want to have, like, the coolest sort of non-snooty, fun, awesome people that you like drinking whiskey with. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, totally. Because we did, when we did the um, the Four Roses uh, Icons of Bourbon, so we, Icons of Whiskey, so we did all, you know, had all 10 recipes, and we did that tasting. It was fun because we were all trying to guess which one, which recipe ones were, so then we were sitting there and there and like even the guys that were like four roses is their brand that's like they were the ones who helped put it together because they collect bourbon and or, or four, uh, four roses in particular like they were only about you know 40 percent right but it was fun because we were all everyone was in on it too and like a couple of us were trying to figure out exactly which one was the q strain because we'd never had the q strain so we're looking for like huh. Does this taste different than other like four roses? Do I remember this flavor in here? I don't know. Is this one that? And then it just becomes this fun thing. And then at the end of the night, you know, you, everyone's giving each other shit over whether, how many you got right or wrong. But then at the end, still no one cares because they're like, now let's just drink the rest of the bottles. <laughs> right. Yes, that's right. It's so, awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's always it's fun. And yeah, the the crowd you're with makes a huge huge impact because. If you get some of these guys that take it really serious, yeah, then they're not as much fun to drink with. This is true because then they're like, "Oh, I thought you knew bourbon." Like, <laughs> it's blind. Like, I, I, you can't tell me that you could pick out everything you've ever drank with your eyes closed. Like, that's impossible. There's like two people on the planet ever that can do that. <laughs> like, uh, yes. So. Yes. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, sommeliers with wine, they're able to. They, they try to do that, but I, I still, you know, I think that's different. You're, you're, you're drinking something that's fermented where the grapes have such a big impact on the flavor. Um, whereas whiskey, man, they distilled, they're in a bottle, aged barrel, like, you know, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's way too tough. Wine's uh, also, it's lower proof. So, you know, things aren't deadening your senses quite as quickly. And you also, even, even master sommeliers, they aren't right 100% of the time. Nope. They're, they're, you know, it's something, they still only have a success rate of something like 60 to 70% or something like that, 70, 80, something like that uh, on the higher end, because it is really difficult to pick those things out because humans, we just can't perceive things quite as well as like a dog or a cat can. Right. <laughs> Yeah, my my dog is very intuitive about me. I don't know how he does it, but that that's different. It's different. He's... <laughs> my my dogs are as well. My I've got one dog that is like she can tell as the second like the second she hears the cork on a whiskey bottle, she starts following me around and she will try to get into my whiskey if I leave the glass unattended. What? <laughs> yeah. You have a whiskey drinking dog? That's I crazy. Do. Like I have to make sure I'm always setting it up out of her way because if I if I I'll, if I set it just on like a, a, a table like next to my recliner or something, and I go to the kitchen, I'll hear a. <gasps> I'll run, have to run back oh, and like Sadie, get no. out of there, and like Drunk take it dog. away from her. <laughs> then my other dog, uh, Alfred, he'll just the second he like I sit down, I'll sit down next to him with a glass of whiskey. He'll get up and leave. <laughs> <doesn't> <laughs> That's like, hilarious. That's he doesn't so even funny. like the smell of it. Like oh. he gets up and leaves. And Sadie, on the other hand, she's like, "Come on, set it down." She's like watching me everywhere I go with it. 
Now, now Thor, Thor will just walk up the whiskey cabinet, like nose, poke it with his nose and look at me. He's like, you haven't had a drink yet. You should probably have one. You look stressed. <laughs> um, Josh, what about weather? So we, we've talked about here, we're, we're from Canada. We, gets, you know, we, we go through a lot of weather fluctuations here. And in the summertime, we drink a little less whiskey. LA, it's hot there most of the year. Um, do you guys drink whiskey more on ice? Do you guys like, or do you drink it straight all the time? Like, what's the, uh, how does weather influence your uh, whiskey drinking? You know, it doesn't, until it gets up into the hundreds, it doesn't really affect, you know, what I what I drink too much. And I've never been one of the, even what, so I, I grew up in, I'm from Utah and Wyoming. So very, very different weather there. You know, we actually see all four seasons, snow gets into the negatives, <laughs> like that sort of thing, you know? You know what we're going through yeah. here in Canada. Then. Like, yeah. yeah, Wyoming has like, it's like negative 30 in the winter and that's just a normal day. So it's like, hey, it's negative 30, walk to school. All right. So, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, in, in so I've just never really adjusted my, my uh, based on, my drinking based on the, the, the time of year, especially when I moved to California, just kind of never really changed. Like I drink just as much Isla whiskey in the middle of the summer as I do in the middle of winter. And um, so for me, it's never changed. But I do have friends that as soon as it hits summer, that's the only time they really drink a lot of the like the barrel proof bourbons. And that's because they Mm -hmm. love to put them on ice. So they'll bring them out and they'll, you know, throw an ice cube and then dump an ounce or two in there. And then that's what they'll start drinking in the summer. They'll, They'll switch to barrel proof on ice and the only thing that really changed with me is I drink more cocktails during the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I agree. I, that, that's about it. Like, I actually, I still drink, I, I drink Isla and cast strength bourbon year-round, but during the summer, I tend to make a few more cocktails. That's, like, really, that's when you'll start seeing uh, cocktails showing up on the blog and stuff is when I, is the summer. Is, but um, other than that, I really don't, I don't change up much. What's your favorite bourbon cocktail? I I'm really into Sazeracs right now. Oh my gosh, so good. I that that's my thing, right? I was like last year I was really into Manhattans and uh, old fashions and like, you know, 99% of the world. And so <laughs> like I was I was on that trolley and then um I've really been getting into Sazeracs right now and I I've been really looking in, into some of the old um like prohibition and pre-prohibition kind of st- recipes and trying some of those recently um i put a couple up on the site last year but i'm trying to i'm going through them again right now and trying some of them like the fedora is is really good um and just trying out a couple of different things like that josh thank you so much for being with us today this was awesome i learned so much no problem thank you for inviting me this is fantastic it was uh, great to sit and chat about whiskey one of my favorite things. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. You can uh, read Josh's whiskey reviews and on the whiskeyjug.com. It's spelled with an E. It's American. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, great, great to have you on, Josh. Really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about whiskey. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem. Whiskey, whiskey.